make the connection that we showed that not to encourage you to do those things, but to show you what might happen if you play with fire. Explosions and all kinds of things go on and you end up with burns. We're in a message series where we're looking at three pursuits that are like playing with fire. They're very, very good things that God has given in the world for us to enjoy. But at the same time, uh, if we're not cautious, they, they can really blow up on us. We need guidance in order to avoid getting burned by uh, an explosive fire from approaching them selfishly. That's the key in each of these arenas. As we've looked uh, over the last uh, three weeks at the three pursuits, uh, we've looked at money, sex, and power. And if you approach any of these uh, selfishly, that's when you begin to get burned and the people around you begin to get burned as well. The first week of the series, we looked at handling our money in the right order. God's given an order for handling our money. And so we looked at the precautions necessary to avoid selfish greed. Uh, because if we handle our finances God's way and we keep money in its rightful place, we, we avoid the explosions and can enjoy it as a blessing God intends. Uh, that's what he wants. Last week, we talked about sex and romance. And if we turn to God to meet our deepest needs for self-worth and fulfillment, uh, then we honor marriage and stay within the boundaries God has given for sex. Sex and romance aren't such a drug uh, that we we need to heal our hurts, uh, but it becomes the added delight to life that God intends for it. Uh, Today we're going to talk about power, and I have my own little fire story. Uh, I moved into a townhome several years back, and we had a gas fireplace. I'd never had a gas fireplace before, and I turned a little knob, turned on the the gas, and then I delayed just a little bit, struck the match, and put it in the fireplace, and a ball of fire, whoosh, and it wasn't in a day when we had videos, you know, like we do now. (laughs) <laughs> but I, it singed my eyebrows and the front part of my hair, which I really needed to stay there, got, got singed. And it kind of has permanently messed up the front of my hair. But I will, I will say this. I, now, when I deal with gas appliances, I have a healthy respect. I, I, I'm, I'm shaking a little bit. You know, as I light the pilot or as I deal with the, the fireplace, whatever it is. Serious amount of respect uh, as a result of that. Today we're talking about power and influence. And the fact that a selfish, a selfish approach to power and influence can really blow up relationships. It, it can really create a lot of damage in our lives. And as I talk about power in this message, I'm particularly talking about the ability to move people to do what they should do or to stop them from doing what they shouldn't do. That's, that's the good side of power. We, we try to influence, we want to influence people to do what they should do and stop them from doing what they shouldn't do. Now, a dictator has absolute power over the people they rule. 
Um, he can control their lives to a certain extent. He can't completely, he or she, no dictator can completely control their nation, especially the hearts of the people. But um, they can control their lives to a certain extent and make, make things very miserable for the people under their rule. Most of us don't want that kind of power. But we do have people that we're responsible for, uh, like our children. We, we want to influence our children. If you're a parent in family life, you want to influence the, your, your kids to do what they should do and not do what they shouldn't do. In church life, we have team leaders and group leaders, other kinds of leaders who, who are given responsibility to lead the team or group to do what it should do to accomplish its mission. And we want the right kind of power and influence to be exercised there. People under us at work, if you're the boss, people alongside us at work, you know, it's, you want to influence people on your team to do what they should do. Uh, in school, you may up, end up the lead on a project, and you certainly want to influence the other people on the project to do their part because your grade is going to suffer if you don't. And so there are many circumstances in life where we have a certain kind of power and we want to influence people toward the right things. We, we need, actually, sometimes we need to influence others uh, to move in a direction that they need to go or stop going in a direction that they shouldn't go. This message is about using our power that's given to us to move people, to use it in a right way. Because if you approach it selfishly, you may get someone to do what they want, but the relationship suffers and dies a slow death over time or blows up at the outset. So there's a way to influence people that draws their hearts along in the right direction. And Jesus shows us how to do that. And we're going to look at that later on in the message. But first, I want to dig into a story from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament that shows us a, a bottom line issue that we need to settle in order to handle power in the right order and in the right way. We're going to look at Nebuchadnezzar's dream of reality. Nebuchadnezzar was, in his day, the most powerful man on earth. He had a tremendous amount of power. He was the ruler of the Babylonian dynasty. Here's a map that shows the Babylonian dynasty. It's the orange that covers most of the Middle East and goes down toward Saudi Arabia. You can see it was a vast empire. So he, he was uh, the most powerful man on earth at this time. And Daniel 2 opens up with this, with this statement. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Now, God was, through these dreams, trying to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. He was losing sleep. You know, when, when the, the ruler of the dynasty is losing sleep, nobody's happy, okay? Nobody around him is happy. So he's... He's troubled. He's trying to figure out what's going on. There's some kind of message that God's sent him, or there's some kind of message in this dream. He may not think it's from God. I don't know. Probably did. Thought it was maybe not from the God, but a God. And so he, he needs to find out what it means. But in this dream, God is trying to communicate a bottom line truth 
that we all need to understand and hold on to. And so he gives him this dream. Now, what Nebuchadnezzar does is he demands that his wise men, he has wise men, advisors around him, he demands that they do basically the impossible. He, he, he not only wants to tell them to interpret his dream, he's not going to tell them what the dream was. So he, he wants them to lay out the dream and the interpretation. This is impossible. So none of his guys can do this. None of the wise men, none of the advisors, they can't pull this off. And so he gets angry. He's pretty cranky probably, several days without sleep. So he's getting cranky. He gets really mad. And he, he says, all right. He calls the captain of the guard in and he says, take these guys out. I'm tired. The wise men, they can't, they can't really help me. So I want you to take them out and execute them. On the way out, the captain of the guard is taking the men out to execute them. Daniel, who's a Jewish young man, Jewish teenager in captivity in Babylon because they have taken over the Israelites. They have conquered their nation. They brought the best of the best into captivity in Babylon. He, he's, he's either a part of this group or he sees it's happening. I think the, the, the sharpest guys were part of his wise men that were trying to advise him. And so as this is happening, he, he, he says, hey, hey, guard, captain, can, can I have a little more time to try to figure out this dream and its interpretation? Captain of the guard gives him a little more time. Daniel goes to, to God. And he says, God, I, I, we need your help. Would you show me the dream and would you show me what it means? And God answers his prayer. And this is the dream that, that, Daniel, uh, that Daniel got from God that Nebuchadnezzar had. Daniel 2, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and in its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff uh, uh, on the, of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the earth. Now, this is a clear message from God. For Nebuchadnezzar. Now, here's a man. He's the, he's the most powerful man on earth. You, you saw his kingdom. It spread out all over the Middle East, and he's feeling it right now. You know, he's like, I'm the man. I'm, I'm the man in the entire region here. <laughs> I, I am the ruler of this dynasty. And so God sends this message, and there's, there's a clear uh, statement in here that God wants Nebuchadnezzar to get a hold of. The statue represented the kingdoms of the earth. Here, here's a picture of the statue. It appeared as a giant idol, and uh, it represented the idolization of human power and achievement. The head of the statue is made of gold. That, Daniel interpreted the dream. He said, Nebuchadnezzar, that's you. You're the, you're the head. You're, that's your kingdom. You're the head of gold. The silver and the bronze kingdom are two kingdoms that are going to come after you. 
So that, that's, that's the significance of, of those kingdoms. And it's a not-so-subtle message to Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, by the way, your kingdom's not going to last forever. You know, you're, you're only here for a little while. And your kingdom's going to go away. And so the, just heads up there. There's a silver and a bronze coming after you. The fourth kingdom is iron. Iron is strong enough to shatter the others, the silver and the bronze. And then the feet of the idol were made of iron mixed with clay, so it's a, it's a divided kingdom, partly strong and partly brittle. And then the idol is smashed by a stone. And the stone is not, it's not cut out by human hands, it's, it's, it's from God, that's the idea. It's not made by human hands. It's the, the stone is from God, and Daniel explains that it was God's kingdom that would someday be set up on earth. And it is greater than any earthly kingdom and lasts for eternity. So that's the message here. <laughs> the message is, you're here for a little while. And you're going to go away. Your kingdom's going to go away. It was a call to humility. That's what the dream was for Nebuchadnezzar, because he's feeling it. And those in power, this is the message, those in power should know that they have not achieved power on their own, but have been given it by God. God has given it to, to, to them He's given it to Nebuchadnezzar. He could take it away at a moment's notice. Any power that we have, anything that we have, is given to us by God and could be taken away at a moment's notice. Daniel 2, 46-47 shows Nebuchadnezzar's response. Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that the offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. So God came through. Nebuchadnezzar praises Daniel's God, the, the one true God. And in all of this, here's the core lesson that we can take away. Ninety five percent of what sets the course of our lives as human beings is outside our control. That, that, that's the truth. This includes the century in which we're born, our parents that we're born to, our family that's around us, the environment we're raised in, our physical size, our talents, and most of our circumstances on and on. 95% is out of our control. God was telling Nebuchadnezzar, and therefore he's trying to communicate to us, all that we are and all that we have is from God. Everything we owe to him. We are completely dependent on him for this life that we have. So here's what we can take away. Life goes better when we acknowledge the reality that God is in control. Because if all of this stuff is outside of our control, if you try to control it, you get neurotic. You go, it just shakes you to the core. So life goes better when we acknowledge this reality, and that's what, what, what God did with Nebuchadnezzar is what he does with us as well. Whenever, if you've decided to follow Jesus Christ, when you decide to follow him, um, 
he, he begins to work in your life. And if anything ever begins to become more important to you than God himself, he, he will show you. You don't, you don't want to get in that situation. But he will show you. If you begin to get proud, pride, Scripture says, comes before the fall. You keep falling down. He, he will show you this. And so it's important. Life goes way better when we acknowledge the reality that God is in control. And this is the bottom line truth that we need to know if we're going to use our power uh, to influence others in the right way. We need to hang on to this. If we settle the issue that God is in control and that all we have is from him, we can avoid all kinds of explosions. Our relationships have an opportunity to do well. If God is in control of all these things, he's put us in the place and position that we're in for his purpose. And we want to we want to settle this in our heart and mind and be used for God's purpose. Here in church life, in our families, at work, in our neighborhoods, with our friends, we settle this issue. I can't control what's going on around me. But, boy, God put me here right where I am to be used for his purpose. And, Lord God, would you use me for your purpose? He, he will if you make yourself available to him. We set out to influence others for good uh, in a way that motivates them from the heart rather than in a way that treats them like a chess piece. You know, sometimes uh, things are going out of control out here. It feels like we're in the middle of chaos and we just want to take people and, you know, you go over here, you do this, you do put tape over their mouth, <laughs> whatever it takes. And we're just sort of manipulating them like chess pieces in our lives to get this scenario the way we want it. But that's not, that's not the way to move a person's heart because we are people. And we have a, a heart of our own and a mind of our own. Um, if we push people to do what we want them to do in the wrong way, it creates a slow burn in them. And as it grows hotter, they either blow up in anger or distance themselves and the relationship dies a slow death over time or just becomes minimal because they, they want to keep their distance. These, these explosions and implosions that occur uh, if we relate out of order uh, and if we relate this way to people under us, they, they're painful. They, they really burn. Um, our kids start counting the days. As they get older, our kids start counting the days till they can get out of the house and out from under the tyranny, out from under the manipulation. We, we don't want that. Life goes better if you recognize God's in control. At work, people start avoiding you if you're manipulative, if you're trying to control them. Um, they, they only talk when absolutely necessary, and it's completely very counterproductive. Um, here at church, you aren't creating. We're, we're told to create an atmosphere that stirs one another up to love and good works. And if you're relating this way in a manipulative way, what it does is, it creates an atmosphere that just doesn't motivate, sucks the oxygen out of the atmosphere, and everybody starts shrinking up. There's not the motivation. There's not the energy to do what we need to do. Now, in all of this, trust is the key factor. 
in our relationships, in the way we handle our power. We're actually, any influence, any realm over which you see, God gives us kids, he's given them to you to, to uh, lead them. That's your responsibility. Um, trust between you and your children is going to be a key factor in building a good, long-lasting relationship with your kids. It's the same here in church life. It's the same at work. It's the same. Any relationship, trust is the key factor to building good, enjoyable, and long-lasting relationships. And the way we use power and authority, the authority we have over our kids, any authority we have at work, any authority you have in church life as you lead a team or help lead a team or lead a group or help lead a group or anything else here in church life, um, it, it's, it's, it's going to be built on trust, and everything you do and say either builds trust or undermines trust. And you have on your listening guide there something called the prior question of trust. This is a good question to ask as you relate to everyone in your life. But, but here it is. Is what I'm doing, thinking, and saying building or undermining trust in this relationship right now? What, what's going on here? Is, is this, this something we, we should be asking ourselves? It's certainly something people are, people are asking before they will be influenced by you. Are you trustworthy? Can I count on this person? And if you keep answering this question in the affirmative, yes, I'm, I'm building trust, then they have a better chance of being influenced by you. Now, God has shown us in Scripture that there are two trust-building qualities in relation, for relationships, love and faithfulness. It's a specific kind of love. It's a love that looks out for the interests of others and is willing to sacrifice selflessly for the good of others. Faithfulness just means you're reliable. You can be counted on. When you say you're going to do something, you do it. You, you fulfill your part of the deal. Those are two trust-building qualities in Scripture. If we do these two things, love and be faithful, we keep answering the prior question of trust, the PQT, and the trust grows in the relationship. Now, the interesting thing is to do those two things, to keep being faithful even when maybe people around you aren't, to continue to love people even when they aren't loving you, what do you need? You need to have faith in the God who is in control, who will do good by you as you set out to honor him in the way you relate to the people around you. So this is no easy thing. We need these two things. Uh, I have some scriptures on the listening guide there for you. Proverbs 3, 3 says that those two bring favor in the sight of God and man, love and faithfulness. Proverbs 16, 6, love and faithfulness over time rebuilds broken trust. If you violated trust in a relationship, over time, it's those two qualities that rebuild them. Proverbs 20, 28 says, these two preserve and solidify the rule of the king and any leadership, any, anybody who has authority over people. Love and faithfulness by that leader secure and solidify the rule or the, or the leadership of the person in charge. If you love people under your leadership or those beside you, if you, if you love people, if you're faithful, 
This creates a trickle-down effect of blessing to the people under you. It influences them in the right way to pull together with you as a team to accomplish good. They don't feel like a chess piece being used to help you win. But they feel like a person who's respected, loved, and who uh, is important in whatever it is you're doing. Important to you, for sure, as you lead them forward. Now, Jesus shows us the mindset in order to keep answering the PQT in the right way. And he shows us this, gets down to ultra-practical specifics in Mark 10. And we've looked, we look at this a few times because it's so helpful to remember. Uh, Mark 10, 42 through 45, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, here's a scarf. I had to borrow this scarf because I don't have any scarves in my, in my wardrobe. There's something about my upbringing. You know, like we wore Levi's and hang 10 T-shirts. That's kind of like, so I, scarves are just fancy. You know what I mean? It's, it's like just sharp. Something about them. So I had to borrow this. But let's, let's say this scarf represents power in our lives. This, is, this scarf is power. Now, what I can do, it's kind of nice that the one I borrowed matches my shirt. But I can either take this power and I can slap it on. I don't even know how to wear it, right? <laughs> but I can, I can put it on and I can use my power to make myself look good. Or I can take it and I can, I can kneel down and I can start cleaning with it. I can start serving. I can look for needs, something that needs to be dusted or something that needs to be done. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you, you're given power. Any power, any influence you have over anybody else is given to you if you're my follower. It's given to you to serve, to lead them in the right way. The disciples were arguing when Jesus said this. They were asking a question that most of us would ask if we were around a king who's going to set up a kingdom. Hey, who's going to have the most power next to you? I want to sit right by you. I want to rule. That's, that's what's in our heart. We want to rule. We want to show people how much power we have. Jesus answers by showing God's way of handling power. The normal way of the world, use my power to show how great I am. Take the scar. Look debonair. God's way, use my power to serve. And this will begin to influence people to do good for the right reasons. It's not that you don't hold people accountable uh, in a supervisory role. It's not that, but you use your supervisory role to bless, to serve, to help people, to help motivate them in the right way to do the right thing so that it will be good for them. It's love that's driving this. It's your desire to be faithful to the living God who you recognize is in complete control of everything that's going on. He's in control. 
Jesus set the example in this by giving up all of his power to serve and therefore to save us. And in the process, here's the God of the universe who steps into our world in the person of Jesus Christ. He becomes a man and he deserves all honor. And yet, he like takes the scarf and he starts cleaning. He starts washing feet. He washed the feet of his disciples. He, he used, and in the process of living that way, became the most influential person. The most influential person that ever lived. Nobody has made their mark on history like Jesus Christ. No one. So using his power this way, giving it all up, dying on the cross, resurrecting again, he used his power and became the absolute most influential person that has ever lived. He shows us the way. He, he wants his followers to do the same. To serve like this, we have to have faith in God. We need to settle the issue that God's in control. We need to let him control all that we have, all that we are, all that we do. And we need to ask his help to keep answering that question. Is what I'm thinking, saying, or, and doing, is it undermining trust or is it building trust? God, help us to build trust with what you've given us. Help us to do things your way. If we don't accept our place under God's control, then we will try to play God in the lives of the people around us. And manipulate them. Nebuchadnezzar waffled on this. You can read the next few chapters of, of Daniel. And he got himself into trouble again. But he waffled. Just like we do. You know, we get it. You know, God, you're in control. I give you control. And then we get our hands around it again. And then we got to keep giving it back. But if we will live the reality that God is in control of our lives and wants to use us for his good, we will avoid those kinds of explosions that happen because we violate the trust of those around us. We, we will build trust rather than blow it up. What a difference could it make in your family, at work, here in church life, if you accepted your place under God and set out to serve him and to influence people in the right way. You would keep answering the PQT in the right way, and you would build trust, and as a result, strong, lasting relationships with family, friends, and coworkers. How enjoyable would that be? That'd be a great. That'd be a great thing. Let's ask God for help in doing that. Father, we come to you. We thank you for the truth that we see in your Word that really does help us, God, to see how you want us to live what you want us to do and, and how you want us to do it. Father, we, we ask for help as we think about how to obey you and obeying you as a result of hearing this word this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. Um, I'd like to ask you all to take out your program, if you would, and your connection card, and to take a look at the next steps on the back of the connection card. And 
um, also on the, the listening guide that you received. Uh, each week, we, we encourage you to stop for a minute at the end of the message and ask the question, like, what has God said to me and what does he want me to do? How can I put this into practice? How can I kind of lean on the Lord Jesus and trust him with this stuff and do what he wants me to do? Because that's how we grow. And so if I'd like you to take a look at some of the next steps and uh, think about which of these maybe um, you want to do or maybe you have something else that God's put on your heart. I know for me just today, uh, two things stood out to me was one when, um, as Randy read the passage about Daniel, that Daniel was being sent out to be killed and he trusted God in the moment and he prayed. I wouldn't have thought to do that. But he, he trusted God because he knew God was in control. In the crisis, he prayed. I don't, I don't have that habit all the time and that stood out to me. And also just at the end where Randy talked about Jesus serving um, and, and laying down his leadership but then God lifting him up and making him the greatest life that ever lived. It's a great picture of you know, God vindicating him. So um, those two things stood out to me. Maybe something stood out to you. So just take a minute to look through the next steps with me. The first thing you could do is memorize Mark 10, 43 through 45. It's there on the screen, also on your, your paper. Um, the other thing you could do is uh, you could bring a difficult relationship to your mind. If you're feeling tension in a relationship, maybe with someone you have authority over, Bring it to mind and ask the prior uh, question of trust, specifically like, have I been loving? Is there a way I could be more loving? Have I been faithful? Is there anything I need to clear up? And that would be applying this to your life. And if you do that, God will, God will bless. Another one is accept the place God has given me and set out to love and serve faithfully because he's in control. He can take care of me. And so focusing on what I can do. Um, and the last one is come back next week because we actually are starting a new message series. Um, we've, been, we've been going through Playing With Fire, which hopefully you've, you've gotten a lot out of. I have. Uh, next week, we're going to begin a new series called Fools on Parade. This is about um, some strategies that people tend to develop in their life that, that God has revealed to us in the Bible. All of us wrestle with selfishness and pride and wanting to hurt people sometimes. Those are seeds in our heart. It's normal. But if we let those things grow from childhood to adulthood into full, full life, they grow into strategies that create a lot of pain and problems for us. For me personally, the fools and this next message series, the things that we're, we're going to be learning, one of the top ten most helpful things I've ever learned being at Church in the Valley. Very, very helpful. So I want to encourage you to come back and, and um, bring a friend if you like. It's going to be a great series. Um, as the ushers come up, uh, as the music plays, you can drop your connection card into the offering, and we'll pray for you if you have any next steps that, uh, that you mark there. All right, let's go ahead and continue in our worship. <laughs> 